What is meant by the metaphor refuge under the wings? And there's a couple other passages that use that phrase, and those are listed right under there. Psalm 36, 7, 57, 1, and so forth. Could you at your tables take a couple minutes and talk about refuge under the wings? We All right. be on page 2. Okay. Page 2. Thank you, Carol. Table discussion. What is meant by the metaphor refuge under the wings? Thank you. All right, let's talk about it. What are you gleaning from this metaphor refuge under the wings? I want to hear from you. What, you, what are you discerning? Who's, who's going to be first? All right, Sam. So we actually had a couple of words that came up for this. Okay. We had protection, safety, sanctuary, utmost care. Okay. Care, protection, safety. Excellent. What else, y'all, are you discerning about this metaphor? Yeah, we were in, in agreeing on all that. And, and then this idea of like being, being hidden, you know, hidden and covered. Like hidden from view? Right, and, and hidden from the elements. Hidden from the, the um, uh, elements, okay. Right, and, and then, yeah, security and provision, you know, in, the, in, in that aspect that a baby under the care and shelter of wings of the mother is actually provided for in, um, like, temperature regulation and things that the baby doesn't even know they need, ah. but they need it because wow. the, the nearness. Okay. Wow, that's excellent. Good. What else? I did. Yep. Like Joyce, so Joyce was on Wikipedia. I looked up buckler. You looked up what? Buckler in verse 91, buckler, shield and buckler, Psalm 91, 4. Okay. So a shield can be different sizes, but a buckler is a large shield protecting the whole body, and it also carries the idea of close combat and defense, and God is intimately protecting. So that... Read us that verse so that we get Psalm, I'm not looking at Psalm 91 4. I can't read it. Psalm 91 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Okay. So it's using shield and buckler as kind of a parallel to being under the wings, taking for refuge. Is that right? Protection. Protection Close again? Protection. All right. Close protection. What else? Anything you want to add to that? There are stories of barns catching fire and burning down, and you'll find the chicken burned to a crisp. Not intended, sorry. Fried, um. fried, fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're having that for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um. But they'll look under, and its chicks are safe and oh. still alive, yet the chicken itself has sacrificed its life for the, the chicks. Um, wow. it, we've also discussed how this is a, a form of guidance um, being under somebody's wings. I, I've seen geese and ducks do this where they like spread their wings and pull their ducklings alongside. Ah, uh -huh. Isn't that neat that God has given us this visual in the animal world of what he wants to do? And do you think Ruth knew that she was coming to seek refuge under the wings of Yahweh? Hmm. Or did Ruth give her the words for what she was doing? And she goes, yes, that's exactly why I'm here. Yeah, I don't know. Don't, can't. Did I say somebody else? Boaz said that to I, Boaz her. Boaz is saying you've come to yeah. seek refuge under 
the, the wings, wings of Yahweh. Do you think Ruth knew she was doing that? Or did he give her the words that fleshed out her heart? I, I hope I'm not stealing any of your thunder, but uh, there's only one other time that this word appears in the book, and it's in uh, chapter 3, where she asked to be under the protection of his wing, which is, an, the word kanaf is used for the side part of the, the robe garment. So she's wanted to be covered by his robe, his kanaf. Yeah, his and wing. could be easy. under his protection. Yeah. No, you're not stealing my thunder. In fact, I'm going to let you discuss that whole passage when, it come, <laughs> when we get there. I'm going to give, no, I'm just joking you. Thank you. Good, good point. All right, so how did Boaz know she was doing this? How did he find these words to say them to her? You ever wondered that? Maybe word got around about Naomi or Ruth's, entreat me not to leave you. Your God shall be my God. Maybe Naomi's telling her friends why, why Ruth is here. Well, I, you know, she's Moabite, but she wouldn't, be, she wouldn't be dissuaded. She was absolutely coming. In fact, she said that, you know, my God would be her God, and she was absolutely refusing to be dissuaded, you know? And maybe that got out to the community. I think it might have. And if there were, if there were um, in the short time that has transpired from their arrival till now, if there were any worship services... Ruth would have wanted to have been a part of it. If she would have been allowed to be a part of it, she'd have been there. She was devoted to Yahweh. And people were picking up on this, you know. Later on, he says, all of my, neighbor, all of my townsmen know you are a woman of noble, worthy, excellent character. And part of that would have been her devotion to Yahweh. And he's picking up on that, isn't it? And he says, you may not know what you're doing, Ruth. I think he's saying... What you've done is you have come to seek refuge. Why would she need refuge? Well, all the things we've been talking about. She's a widow. She has no future. She has no children. She has no uh, son, so husband, no father, no, no wage earner for protection. But Boaz says you've come to seek refuge. Who needs refuge? Somebody that's in a, in a crisis. Somebody who's in trouble. You've come to seek refuge. Um, from Yahweh under his wings. What a beautiful, what a beautiful picture. That almost, there's many things that don't translate from one language to another, but all languages have seen birds do that with their young, and so that would translate well to whatever. I can't imagine there wasn't some language, a little bit of language barrier with Ruth and Israel, but anyway, pretty cool, huh? Now I'd like us to uh, switch to Boaz. What can we discern about Boaz's character? I have um, listed uh, several texts and again gave you some words. But a couple places like 2-1, I didn't give you anything. You've got to read 2-1 and then jot down a word or a phrase in the totality. Let's take a few minutes and talk about Boaz, shall we? At your tables, Boaz's character, page 2. All right, if you're on 2-1, then let's wrap it up and then just start skimming down the rest of them, 2-4 and following. Try to just take those in. Hopefully what I've given you 
will trigger something. If not, look it up, but try to keep moving and jot down some summary statements and phrases or words about Boaz. Okay, let's talk about Boaz. What do we discern about Boaz? Uh, not just character, but certainly want to know things you discern about his character. Who will talk to us first? You ready? You got something? Yeah, I have that. Uh, uh, have a note in my uh, uh, Bible here that in verse one it says that uh, uh, Boaz uh, was a man of great wealth, a phrase meaning that he possessed. Uh, the finest of qualities. So not only did he have financial wealth, but also uh, wealth of, of character. Okay. All right. Where you going? Yeah. Uh, that he was a good uh, a good master. Okay. To I his uh, servants. You get that from that interchange. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. May the Lord be with you, and may the Lord bless you. Mm-hmm. Um. He had, uh, in the Boaz addresses Ruth as my daughter, uh, he had... Uh, what do you think that means? He had compassion. That was a compassionate way to address her, is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Yep. Okay, who else? Um, Elena made a good point about that phrase, my daughter, where it's sort of extending that idea of the wings of refuge or his protection or safety. You know, he's Excellent. calling her daughter. You can go to the prize table for that one, Elena. Good job. Okay, thanks for calling her out, Liz. <laughs> Karen Pond says, he followed the Lord and knew him personally. Um, he was generous, he was kind, he showed tenderness toward Ruth, who was a foreigner and vulnerable young woman. He was a leader who led by serving, he was well-respected. He genuinely cared for his workers and servants and was of good good rapport, maybe? Above reproach, okay, very good. And um, Karen, you can go to the prize table also. Okay, good job. Did anybody have anything left after Karen did all that? What else do you know about Boaz? Well, we were talking about calling her his daughter I, Liz, I think, hit the nail on the head of the sheltering and, and the, the like caretaking thing, but also is an expression of, I think, his, his purity of heart. Okay. He was not looking at her as a young woman to exploit. He was uh -huh. looking at her as a young lady to care for, to shelter, to look out for. He was not looking at her. Obviously, we see what comes later as like, oh, this girl's catching my eye. But that is not how it started. Yeah. It started out as he wanted to watch out for her. Yeah. Very good. So maybe that's also where Karen got above reproach. I'm not even, I'm not even going to get close to anything that could inter be interpreted uh, in a um, fleshly, carnal way. I'm going to call her daughter. What would that imply about the, his age and her age? Who else called her my daughter? Naomi did. Um, you had something? Oh, I was agree that the age, older and younger. Quite a bit older, quite mm -hmm. a bit younger. Uh huh. So he probably could have been her father from that kind of statement. Definitely, Naomi felt like 
she was of the generation that would call her daughter. Then in chapter three, he's, he admires that she hasn't gone after the young guys. Uh-huh, another indicator that he's not one of the young guys, That's right? right? Okay. No, I was just, this is kind of going beyond, but <laughs> um, he not only made provision for her protection, but for her well-being, so physical and emotional, you know, told the men not to insult her. Ah, so. don't insult her, don't reproach her, don't reprimand her, some of those words in the different translations. Very good, I like it that you're catching these things. Come, I'll get you George and then we'll go to Liz. I, I think with, with, with Boaz, you really have a situation with an outstanding character. Outstanding, yeah, not because just good. This is, remember, this is the period of the judges, mm. and mm. a time of great corruption and uh, moral ineptitude th throughout the country. And to, ha and to have a man like this... He shines, he doesn't shines. he? He yeah. shines. He really stands out. Excellent. Good, yeah. good. Excellent. Yeah, I just noticed about Boaz that for someone who's very wealthy and prominent and kind of up there, he's very in touch with the servants and what it must feel like to be her. Like to, he's thoughtful to a really, you know, selfless extent where he's aware of what it's like to be someone else um, um, at, who's in a much different state of life than himself. Yeah, okay, very good people. Coming to you, Russ. Somebody said, why isn't he married? We don't know, we don't know that, do we? In verse 12, it's, uh, Boaz is telling Ruth, may your wages be full from the Lord. And I don't think anyone can say that unless they've experienced that themselves. So God's giving, there's a fullness in God's giving and receiving and is going on. he wants her to enjoy that. Yeah, he's but, blessing her with that. Yes, but yeah. he can't say that. Uh, without really knowing that personally in so, his relationship so with think, God. Yeah, very good, very yeah. good. Okay, anybody else? I was thinking uh, he wants Ruth to have enough food to eat for her to, like, like uh, it, like all the bullet points here. It says let her glean among the sheaves, and also it said purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles. So he really wants her to have enough. That's excellent. More than enough, actually, right? And then, uh, you know, later on, don't go to your mother empty-handed. She wasn't even there to glean that, or not glean that way that night. But he made sure she, she had plenty, didn't he? What do you pick up on in that in interchange between Boaz and his workers and then the workers back to Boaz? What do you, what do you pick up on that? You know, what, why did the author pause the whole story to give us that interchange. I think it was to show that he was a great manager because a great manager always acknowledges the people around him and supports them. And they in turn, you know, their answer to him was, may the Lord bless you, meaning they were very positive about him and yeah. happy to have him as their, their boss or manager. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Anybody else have an insight on that? What's going on in this greeting between each other? Mutual respect. Carol says mutual respect. Very good. Are you texting me something? Ignore uh, me. What? Ignore me. Okay. Um, what else? Okay. Hold on. 
Well, I was just thinking about what level of respect is required to be able to speak to your servants about how to treat this lady and know that they're going to follow it out in the field where nobody's looking. That's a high level of honor and respect that they have. So he had him. confidence in them, mm -hmm. and they knew they, to just fall right in they, on that. They admire. I think they admired and honored him for yeah. his for way he was he was leading. Yeah. Huh. Very good. Yeah. Kind of building off of that a little bit, and what others have shared, he, so he went out of his way to say, "Do not insult her. Do not rebuke her." to the reapers and I think that shows on one hand he was very unique among the people in that he would treat her kindly and you know he knew his reapers probably would maybe have a tendency to rebuke her or to insult her maybe that would have been the common response but so he cared for her emotional state but he also went out of his way to instruct his reapers on how to... proactive on that whole deal. Yeah, mm -hmm. how to treat people like her. Yeah, very good. Why do you think um, he would need to give that word to the reapers? Hey, uh, don't rebuke her, don't reprimand her, don't insult her. In fact, pull some extra out. But why, why, would, why, would, why would there need to be that said to the reapers? Coming to you next, whoever. I heard a voice. Um, I was thinking because, like, she's poor. She's a foreigner. She's not one of them. Multiple strikes. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of a tendency if you're above someone to just kind of be like, hey, look at me. I'm better than you. Yeah. Get out of my way. Yeah. Whatever. Good. Good. Who else had something to say a minute ago? Who? Uh, I did. Okay. I said I was going to say because she's a Moabite. Uh, okay, got a foreigner. Not just any foreigner. We got a Moabite foreigner. That's got a lot of baggage with that name, doesn't it? Okay. And they might might not respect her as much yep. as they would like fellow Israelites. Yes, excellent. Yes, yeah, so that's what All right. It's because she's like able to glean when they're not allowed to do that freely because they don't fit those requirements. They just get to watch her freely pick up everything uh -huh. without... Uh -huh. Getting They're doing anything. their jobs, and she's going all around them and all. So at, at that point, she didn't have. At that point, as far as they knew, she didn't have anybody to defend her. No father in uh -huh. the country, no brother, no husband. So she was kind of. Uh, yeah. More vulnerable. Even that more important that he speak up on her behalf, yeah. right? He might have known what they didn't know, or maybe they did know it. Okay, good. Um, What I was thinking of is, um, you're the guys working. You're doing your job. You got the sickle. Hey, don't get don't get too close. You might get hurt, you know. And you're working hard. And here comes this this girl, and now and and she's all all around us, you know. And um, could she get in her? Could she get in their way? Yeah, I was I was headed. You know, okay, gotta stop. You know, you can kind of see a potential for frustration that somebody's, and now she's all the way up in the sheaves, you know, and and she's getting a lot of stuff. Look how much stuff she's getting. And Boaz is just thinking ahead maybe, and he's saying, this could be a recipe where somebody could just get out of my way or 
go get a job or some other kind of condescending statement, you know, somebody mentioned foreigner, really a put down, all that, and he's just, he's just being very proactive, very, very wise, don't you think, to think ahead about what could happen and cut it off at the pass. But in the process, we see huge things about the man's character, don't we? What else do you see about Boaz that you think hasn't been said or needs to be said? Sam? While, you're, while I'm getting there, he has a lot of knowledge about human nature. He has a lot of knowledge about Israel, Israelite men's human nature. Even those who are worshiping Yahweh, he has a lot of knowledge about what could go down. Well, at our table, one of the things that was brought up was that Boaz was proactive, not just in how he treated Ruth, but also how he instructed his workers in terms of what they needed to do yeah. in regards to how to treat Ruth. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of proactivity on yeah. his part. Excellent, excellent. I, I think one thing that jumps out to me with his instructions is his his generosity was above the law, above and beyond what he was asked to do. He cared for her and said, hey guys, leave her a little extra. Drop some stuff. Just pretend you forgot yeah. it. Yeah. But I want you to give her more than what yeah. she deserves. There you go. It's really and it's, it, what we know is that he knows about Naomi back home, and that might be one more reason he's saying, I'm not just providing for Ruth here, I'm providing for Ruth and Naomi. Kick out some extra. More about his compassion and care. I, I would see that the reaping and all... Hold it close so they can hear Oh, you. sorry about That's that. That's all right. That uh, I would expect that there was others that would come from the town or the uh -huh. area uh -huh. and also try to get the stuff. Yeah. And he was protecting uh, Ruth from from getting it with them and yeah. them not get, I That's didn't right. say it very well. You did but, very well. Uh, yeah. Thinking ahead, protecting her, uh, watching out for her. Excellent. Yeah. Good, good. Anybody else? All right. Um, Does anybody know what Solomon called one of the two pillars in the temple? Boaz. He called it Boaz. You get a trip to the table, Theron. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the two pillars that supported the porch of Solomon's temple, and its name was Boaz. Was Boaz a relative of Solomon? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so... He says, I'm going to name this pillar Boaz. You think there was, there was a connection there? Was, so we have a sense that the name Boaz means pillar or strength is in him. And uh, so, anyway. Now the man was wealthy. It says, or, well, at least a lot of the translations in those opening words say he was wealthy. It says, it says um, I think, um, it says... He was a man, the next word is, can be translated strong or mighty, and the next word means power, strength, wealth, or army. So all the translations are trying to wrestle with what was meant when you put, we know what man means, but then you got a word that mean, could mean strong or mighty, 
And then the next word could mean power, strength, wealth, or army. So here's how the top versions, English versions, one says a man of great wealth, a man of standing, a worthy man, a mighty man of wealth, a prominent man of noble character, a man of great wealth, a wealthy prominent man, a man mighty of wealth, a wealthy and influential man. Those are all of the, well, not all of them, but those eight or so English translations wrestling with what the Hebrew says and trying to give us a sense of who Boaz is. What did you take from all that? Summarize it. He's well-respected. Well He's solid. What? He's a good guy. He's a good guy, yeah. And leader and noble and powerful. And, and in, in Israel's day, if you were a blessed man, it included, it, it didn't, didn't just, just didn't mean that you, it meant the whole picture of blessedness, right? Wealth, respect, authority. And later we see him in the gates of, of the town of Bethlehem as one of the leaders and the elders and respected by those. He had the whole package here, right? And they're giving us that sense right in the opening, opening verse there about that. Yeah. He's, he's called an Ishgabur Chayil. That's okay. exactly what I Chayil. thought. And... And Ish Chayil is someone who's been trained for military accomplishments and is, I would say that good meaning is capable. And then Ish Chayil is the masculine. The feminine corresponding expression is Eshet Chayil, which we find in Proverbs 31. Oh. And you see the whole range of things that this capable woman is, oh. is known for. And he has a corresponding masculine set of accomplishments. Ah, Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman or excellent That's wife. Correct. He corresponds to that. Yes. Very good. Thank you. That was excellent uh, addition to our study, Theron. Yeah, I was, I was going to say Theron, Theron kind of confirmed what, I was, what, you, what triggered when I, you said that because how many times throughout... Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, we hear the stories of the mighty men of valor mm. accompanying the leaders into war. And I looked it up. It is the exact same word expression. Right? So he Excellent. was a mighty man of valor. Yeah, mighty man of valor. But it also didn't just mean he was good with a, a sword. It meant the whole package, you know, like, like the Proverbs 31 woman corresponding to the man. Very good. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess what I want to ask us, we've, we've looked at Ruth and we've looked at Boaz, and the author is presenting these people in such a way that we are right to, to sit here and say, wow. And we're also right to allow them to mentor us by their ways and to say, would people say that of me if I greeted my employees? And would people see that about me, you know, neither of these people knew that their story was being written down for us all these millennia later. But would they write that about me? And if not, why not? And Lord, would you do this in me? You know, I think God is laying out these quality people so that we will be invited by them to um, emulate them. Don't you think? Are we... 
Are you and I becoming the Ruths and the Boazes of our day and time? All right. Now, um, I wanted to uh, let you in on a little secret Harold shared with me at the break. And uh, he pulled his license out. And would you do that again for us? What, that my first name is O-M-E-R? I thought it was O-M-A-R. That's pronounced Omar. But, but it, is it is spelled like the Omer yeah. in the Bible. Yes. So Harold's first name is Omer. We are, are we allowed to call you that now? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said he played on a, a softball team, and his jersey number was? One-tenth. His jersey was one-tenth. You get it from earlier where we talk? Omer was one-tenth of an ephah. That's, that's amazing. You can go to the prize table for that, Harold. <laughs> Omer Ruth? <laughs> All right. Okay. Anybody name your kid or grandkid ephah? We want to know that as well. All right. All right. Well... <clears throat> I want to try to pull together some of what we've been talking about in the time that remains and just see if the Lord will allow us to weave some thoughts together that will be impactful for us. Chapter 1, we're going to, we're going to pull back from chapter 1. Naomi was absolutely convinced about God's sovereignty, right? I mean, there was no question in her mind that God was in charge and all of these Horrific things have been happening to me, my husband, my two sons. She was absolutely convinced of God's sovereignty. She interpreted it, God's sovereignty, as harsh and unkind, as bitter, right? You remember that? Now in chapter 2, we come to another indicator of God's sovereignty. It's in verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. So Ruth said, can I go and glean? Sure, go ahead, her mother-in-law said, mother said. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Wow. There's a lot in that sentence, isn't there? Do we see God in these things as well? Did she? No. She was just going about her day. I asked for permission to go glean. My mother-in-law said, yes, I'm going. I'm looking. And hey, here's a field they're, they're doing reaping in. I'll, I'll, I'll choose that one. Maybe there was one over here. Maybe there was one over here. But she said, eh, that eeny meeny. And she chose that one, right? And the author tells us in really careful terms, she happened, she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. My question for us is, how do we respond to and react to and interpret God's sovereignty in our lives? Do we see God in the things like this? She happened to come to the field. 
My husband is dead. My sons are dead. How do we respond when things are hard and when they're painful and when there's excruciating loss and it's seemingly unkind and it's very bitter? Can we, can we, can we go all the way forward to the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was talking to us, talking to us in 2 Corinthians 12. He's talking about this exceptional revelation that was given to him about knowledge. And he says, oh, and it was so amazing, I can't even tell you about it. But for this reason, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from exalting myself. That thorn in the flesh is a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this thorn, this messenger of Satan, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and He said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Implication being, I want you to remain weak, Paul. So then Paul's response is, Most gladly, therefore, then I will boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, really, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Would that be God's sovereign hand in the Apostle Paul's life bringing a messenger of Satan into Paul's life? Wow. How did Joseph, Joseph in Genesis, Joseph, how did Joseph speak of God's sovereignty when he endured some my math is right, 13 years of calamity and crisis and persecution and mistreatment. First his brothers hate him and then they sell him into slavery and he's accused wrongly, thrown in uh, the, the prison and forgotten. 13 years of that. How, and then the brothers and they finally reconnect and so on and so forth. How does Joseph... Speak of God's sovereignty. Can somebody give it to me, Andrew? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's talking to his brothers, right? Yeah. You brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Who's in total control on that deal? God was. Was God totally in control when the brothers were doing their wickedness and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife were doing their thing and he was forgotten by the uh, cup baker? Cup bearer? <laughs> cup baker. Um, was God sovereign? Was God, to use Naomi's words, unkind? Was God harsh? Was he treating her very bitterly. Yesterday, no, not yesterday, um, Wednesday, Mr. Weens took a fall 
And then Thursday, if I got my days right, but he got himself back up. He's in assisted living. He got himself back up on his own. He went on to the meal. But then he said, you know, I better tell my, my worker, you know, that that happened. So he did. And then he told Barb as well that he fell. And, but he got himself up. His elbow was hurting because he landed on his elbow. But hey, I'm okay. Thursday, he wakes up and he's numb on this whole side. So they're like, oh my goodness. And so they uh, call Barb and first thing you know, an ambulance is there and they're taking him to the ER. And the ER do all the tests, you know, and they said, we, we're worried that he's had a stroke, of course. So they did an MRI and they did half a dozen tests. And they said, we, we don't see evidence of a stroke, but because of this, we just feel like we should keep him for observation. So they kept him overnight Thursday night. Friday morning, he is not the same person. And he's just uh, always had a hard time in hospitals. He gets confused and just, just really, and Friday afternoon, we're wanting him to get out of there. He does so much better in a known environment and all this. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. We're going to send him to rehab. And oh, this is a we can't do anything on the weekend. And oh, Monday's a holiday. And it has just gone from one thing to the next to the next. And Mr. Weens, this morning, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize him from Wednesday because he's just beside himself with all this. Is God's sovereignty working? like Naomi saw God's sovereignty working. His hand is against me. It's gone forth against me. He's testified against me, against Mr. Weens, against Barb and the family. Is this something different of God's sovereignty? Is what happened with Joseph? Somebody meant it for evil, but God is meaning it for good. Is this a messenger of Satan that God is using even the enemy of all of our souls and the enemy of holy God in a situation, but God is absolutely going to do His will, His good and perfect will through all of this? And we're over here frustrated and wringing our hands and we're saying, Lord, this is just awful, and please intervene and help and get him out of here. And You know that feeling, don't you? Maybe not on that one, but you've got your own situation. These are hard things, aren't they? These are difficult things. And I think the book of Ruth was written to help us get some handles on these things. And if I could go back to chapter 1 of Ruth, I asked you, why do you think the word turn and return and brought back and all of those, there's that heavy emphasis on that. And why is there this emphasis on God's being sovereign but Naomi's interpretation that it is a harsh kind of sovereignty, an unkind sovereignty. 
And yet, why elsewhere in Scripture do we see Joseph saying, no, 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 you meant it for evil, brothers, but God, oh, he meant it for good. And the Apostle Paul, and there's so many others we could touch on, right? Where is all of this supposed to be? And I would like to suggest to you that God is using this message of Ruth in this way. I present it to you. I'm not positive, but I think I see something here that I want to let you meditate on. This word turn. For those who turn to him, and Naomi did, and she returned to Bethlehem, to the people of God, and Ruth turned to God. For those who turn to Him or return to Him, or for a Barb or a Jim Weens who weren't walking over in Moab somewhere, but they turn their faces to Him in their moment of calamity and distress and crisis and despair and all of the rest, for those who turn to Him or return to Him or even just turn their face to Him, God is, and I used these words last week, God is gathering the crucibles and the calamity of our lives to lay a foundation of gracious, loving kindness that will utterly astound us. Can I say that again? For those who turn to Him or return to Him or even just turn their face to Him. You weren't walking in disobedience, but in your moment you just turn your face to Him. God is going to gather those crucibles and calamities of our lives. And in fact, He's already doing it. He's laying a foundation of gracious, loving kindness that will utterly astound us. Utterly astound us. If we could talk to Naomi today, 50 years after she went to heaven, she'd have said, oh yeah, that's absolutely... Boaz, oh yeah, that's absolutely true. The Apostle Paul, Joseph... Everyone and the saints who weren't in the Bible who've gone on ahead of us to, oh yeah, I had no idea how graciously God was laying a foundation of blessing for me. I was, and here that's, I think, again, some of the flavor of the book. When the book ends, Naomi has a grandson. Her life has some joy again and some provision ahead in the days ahead. She didn't know it was going to be in a book, her story is in a book. She didn't know that that Obed grandson was going to be the father of Jesse and then the father of King David. She didn't know he was going to be a Messiah. She didn't know about a Messiah yet, I don't think. And she didn't know about the ingathering of which we are a part. And she didn't know about so many things. And that's why God is not obligated to tell us the whole story. But His sovereign goodness is always at work for those who are turning or returning or just turning to Him like this. And the question is, are we? God is absolutely sovereign. There is no such thing as it just happened to happen. And the author put that in there for us to know. That was not just a chance happening. That was God's sovereignty at work. And he gave us a little foretaste of it then. God was laying a foundation of His gracious, loving kindness to all of those involved, even to Boaz. Boaz, you've been such a righteous man. Whoever it was said in a time of moral decay like the judges, here's Boaz, and God says, 
Boaz, I'm laying a foundation for you to be the ancestor of my son, the Messiah. He never knew that on this earth, did he? But God, that's God. That's who God is. That's how God is laying. Now, do we really believe that? It works for the people in the Bible, maybe. But do we believe that in our situations? Some of you have buried the pre most precious person in your life. And you're left alone. Some of you have still broken relationships. And where is this ever going to be resolved? And how did this? And what did I? And loss and pain and suffering and health issues. And you, we could be here letting each of us tell the story. And the question is, is God's sovereign, loving care still at work? when we don't have the answer, is he still laying a foundation for his absolutely gracious, loving kindness that will utterly astound us? Do we believe it? Will we believe it? Will we, will we even without the end story known to us, will we say, yes, God? I, Jim Weens, is God, while he's languishing in the hospital this morning, and not himself, Do we believe that God is laying for Jim Weens a foundation of loving kindness that will utterly astound Jim Weens? He would be embarrassed for you to see him now and hear the things that are coming. I'm not trying to shame him. Do you hear me, though? He would be embarrassed. Do I really believe that God is laying a foundation of loving kindness for Jim and for Barb and the family members? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Do I really believe that? And you look at what has happened to you in the last year. And you say, was God really doing those things with an attitude of loving kindness? Why am I here? Why is this going wrong? Why is this... You fill in all of those things of your life and you say, can I go to the bank with these statements of, that, about God? The answer is yes. But the question is, will I? Right? And will I come back to it and again and again and shore it up when I start to tremble and doubt and even go into Naomi chapter 1. No, no, his, his hand is, 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 is against me. He's testified against me. He's gone forth bitterly, his hand against me. Or will I say with the message of the book of Ruth, even the Naomi, she'd say, don't do, don't, don't, don't do that. No, no, don't you, didn't you learn what I just learned or, or what came out of my story? And her, her, her. She would say, and Boaz would say, and Ruth would say, and all the rest of the witnesses that gone before us would say, you can trust him, even with what's going on in your situation right now, with all the unanswered questions and all the ends that don't meet. Well, we have a couple of songs I'd like us to sing, so you could grab that green sheet. And... Um, what I think we see at the end of chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2, uh, is very instructive. No, that wasn't the one I meant to say.
chapter 2, verse 20, May he be blessed of the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Boaz's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, but she recognizes the Lord in that, and she says, may the Lord bless him. There's a beginning of a ray of light for Naomi. Wow, I forgot that he's our kinsman. We have one, and he's doing us so right by you, Ruth. There's a beginning of the light there. I think I see the Lord healing Naomi already. Do you? So I'd like us to sing, um, I am the God that healeth thee. I suppose that you and I probably have a number of things in our life that have very unanswered questions. And it might be that that word healing is just what you need to hear today, the Lord say. And just the way he brought into Naomi's situation, he wants to do with you. Shall we, Carol? sing it again and do you recognize the Lord speaking to you about your situation today I am the God that healeth thee I am the Lord your healer I sent my word and healed your disease I am the Lord your healer now from a faith standpoint you are the God that healeth me you are the Lord my healer you sent your word and healed my disease you are the Lord my healer. What's the starting note? Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Is he redeeming? Does he want to redeem? 
that whatever in your life, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. And then this Blessed Redeemer by Fanny Crosby. What I am hoping we're seeing is that God is redeeming all of these things. But if we can't see it, He is still worthy of our trust that He is redeeming. What was that? He is gathering for those of us who turn to Him, return to Him, or even just turn to Him with our faces. God is gathering the crucibles and calamities of our lives to lay a foundation of gracious, loving kindness that will utterly astound us. Do I believe He's doing that? Blessed Redeemer. Let 
second verse you are my refuge under your watch care safe I shall be gladly adoring joyfully trusting still I am coming closer to thee wonderful words aren't they when the way is not clear when the pain is very real when the weakness is overwhelming is he still redeeming then? By all means. Fanny Crosby was blind, right? Just an amazing testimony to her ability to trust God even in her blindness. And uh, yeah, she was blind all of her life. So what a testimony to how God had won her trust. Uh, even in that circumstance. So our, this becomes our invitation for communion this morning. Boaz said to Ruth, I understand what's gone down. You've come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh, under the wings of the Lord. And I think it melds with the whole turning and returning, and even the righteous ones, turning their faces upward in trust. There's a text in the New Testament that makes it really plain. It says, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up on the cross for us all, the delivered up is meant betray and deliver up to, to, to death on that cross. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things that we should possibly need. Would he give us his son, but then withhold this? How could, how could I then assume that he's not loving towards me. Well, the circumstance screams that he's not. No, but did you go back to that? If he spared not his own son, how could he not also with him freely get? Might not happen all with clarity in this life even, but is he laying a, a foundation for 
gracious loving kindness that will utterly astound you for all of eternity. Well, yes, he is. Yes, he has. Jesus Christ and more. So I would invite us to bow in quiet reflection. Lord, we, we find ourselves in many different scenarios this morning, but we, we concur with Boaz about Ruth. Under your wings we have come to seek refuge for protection from the harshness, the bitterness of life, from our widowhood or our aloneness or the harm that has befallen us. We come to seek refuge under your wings from our own waywardness. What were we doing in Moab to begin with? From the consequences of our having gone to the far country like the prodigal. But we see you as the Father there welcoming us to come back, to turn, come back to the Father. To seek refuge under His wings. Had there been sin, perhaps, at least carelessness, but Lord, You welcomed Naomi to return. And the picture we have of the prodigal is that You welcomed, gladly welcomed that son who had squandered his portion of the estate and riotous living. You welcomed him back like the Father did and that message is for us. You welcomed us to come find refuge under Your wings who were who are Gentiles or who are Moabites in one way or another. You welcomed us to return, to turn and return and come back to You or to come to You for the first time. Lord, You welcome us to place our trust in You under those wings to seek refuge when the providence seems harsh or unkind or when your sovereignty is interpreted, misinterpreted by us as being bitter. We're invited to turn our faces to you and to trust to you and surrender afresh to you in our dependence and in our worship and say with Joseph, you mean this for good, even though the circumstances scream otherwise. And if there was any doubt, we have only to look at the cross and to see our Savior bleeding, and to see you turning your back on Him as He took and became sin on our behalf. And so you who spared not even your own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, we have renewed confidence by that picture and by this message of Ruth to put our trust unreservedly in you. We are ashamed how often we have doubted you, and we confess that now before You. And now we take this bread and this cup and we offer our devotion to You afresh. We're so taken with Ruth's devotion to You and we, we want to follow in her train. And we love You, Lord, and we thank You. In the name of our Savior Jesus, Amen.